to be given the chance to work in the Pisgah National Forest, just a, a venerable mecca of mountain biking, especially on the East Coast. Like I've heard about it forever since I picked up a bike. So to actually be able to work there was just incredible. I mean, I, I feel so lucky for all the work I got to do for all the communities I got to visit. But but this is, yeah, this is a cool one. Welcome to Trail Effect. I am your host, Josh Blum. Trail Effect is a show that dives into the stories behind trails, the communities that embrace trails, and the people who rely on trails as a way of life. The goal of this show is to turn the stories you will hear from our guests into useful knowledge that can be applied to your community while providing some entertaining and inspirational content. Guests on Trail Effect include trail builders, board members, community leaders, volunteers, and regular people who really enjoy trails. Episode 115 features Steve Kasachik. Steve spent seven years on the road as a project manager for Imba Trail Solutions and has had many opportunities to plan and design trails in some of the most iconic places in the Southeast. Steve drops stories for days on this one. Steve also goes into his new role at the Outdoor Sport Institute in Maine and why he chose to get off the road and settle down in his most favorite region of New England. This podcast is supported by Trail One Components. The team at Trail One is dedicated to making amazing mountain bike goods and supporting the trails we love. For each product sold, a dollar is donated to trail networks around the world. Check out Trail One at trail1.bike or hit the link in the show notes. I'd like to take a moment to thank all of the listeners and guests who have taken the time to share the Trail Effect episodes on their social media accounts, such as Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, along with taking Trail Effect in their posts. This has helped more listeners find the Trail Effect podcast. Please keep up all of the sharing, commenting, and taking of Trail Effect. I'd also like to thank all of the listeners who have signed up to be supporters of Trail Effect through Patreon. These actions mean a lot to me. Now on to the Trail Effect with Steve Kasachik. So we got Steve Kasachik today on Trail Effect. He's a former project manager for IMBA, and that was very recently, and he has done a ton of stuff with IMBA, has a huge background in trail project management, design, planning, all the things, trails. And he most recently moved to Maine because he's got a new addition in his life as a child. He's a new father. Probably decided he needed to travel a little bit less so he could hang out with his with his new child. And I know that feeling because I've got two kids myself. And But you worked for IMBA for seven years, roughly. But prior to that, you worked in the civil engineering world with an emphasis and a focus on stormwater management. Yeah. Let's talk about that pivot to IMBA from... Cause that, you know, that's obviously a whole different world going from working for a consultant, you know, in civil engineering to working for IMBA, although it's super important to have anyone that has stormwater management in their background, leading up trail design, planning, and construction. Yeah, no, it seemed like a, a good use of my skills, you know, stepping back, like to the beginning, I, you know, I've always been outdoorsy, so I always enjoyed being outside and, and riding bikes. Ended up in civil engineering. I like the joke because I was kind of good at math and science. <laughs> um, uh, and I enjoyed uh, enjoyed that sort of problem solving and, and took some water resources courses. I went to Penn State University um, and just was really, really enamored with hydrology and watersheds and that kind of work and found my way. Um, you know, I didn't actually go right into civil engineering, which is kind of like leads up to how I found my way in. But after college, I just like lived out of my 
my car for a while out west uh had had the bikes on the rack uh worked on farms and just like traveled the country slept you know on the side of the road in national forests wherever i could find and and spent a couple months just like roaming the country i'd never been out west i'm from from new england i grew up in new england i went to school in pennsylvania i went to disney world once like that that was the extent of my travel till i was 22 and so that experience you know the love of outdoors growing up being outdoorsy and spending a lot of time backpacking and hiking with my family and riding bikes plus the time just on the road just living free i always wanted to do that so you know i ended up in civil engineering because i needed a job <laughs> and i was genuinely interested in, in stuff like stream restoration specifically you know i credit the first civil engineering job i had uh, with this small firm up on Cape Cod, Horsley Witten Group. That period of my life, I credit with two things. They taught me a lot about attention to detail. They were you know, very strong in green infrastructure and low impact design. Um, and so I learned a lot about the consulting world. I learned a lot about managing clients, managing projects. I wasn't doing that at the time, but I was doing a lot of design work. And so I learned, you know, I'll credit my first mentor, Rich Clater, with teaching me attention to detail um, and then always putting out a high quality product uh, and working very hard and just the thrill of consulting kind of. So, uh, and the other thing I credit that time with is I met my, my now wife <laughs> living on Cape Cod. So anyway, you know, I did that for a couple of years. I moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, cause I wanted to follow my wife down South and get more into stream restoration work. Um, and I was living in Charlotte at the time. Um, which was probably like 50% of the reason I got the job at Imba. Rich Edwards thought I lived down south and would stay down south and jokes on him. <laughs> but we were living down there and I only I only lasted nine months at this engineering. It was like a real engineering. The group I worked for on Cape Cod, they were they were very fun. I didn't have to like dress up. <laughs> I wore, you know, shorts and sandals to work in the summer. Hard work, but fun. Charlotte was like suit and tie. <laughs> nice dress shoes like and, and anyone who knows me probably laughs at that nine months of my life but i tried it and uh decided like nah this this is not gonna work saw an ad i'd always kind of perused him but and i always wanted to be in trails you know funny story i actually reached out to trail solutions while i had that first engineering job i emailed a, a guy named shane wilson <laughs> And he basically told me if I wanted to like work just as hard, but for less money than like, yeah, I should look into the trail industry roundabout way. I ended up working with Shane a lot. But yeah, you know, I I saw the job posting. It was a little different back then than it is now. Everybody did kind of everything. And so they were just looking for like hand crew on the construction team. And I told my girlfriend at the time, <laughs> uh, you know, I was like, I want to give this a try. I I'm dying in a cubicle. I was in my late twenties. I was like, I can't do this. Like, and I always, you know, riding to me, the way I started riding was with a tight knit group of people. And so riding was always about community. Um, and so I was always interested in trails. You know, I know we'll talk about new England a little bit later, but you know, I always knew there was more to trails than what I knew. Um, so I was always, I've always been someone clamoring to learn and like expand my horizons, just, just learn. So it was just an opportunity to learn about trails, you know, go do something fun. And, and I was like, you know, this pay freaking sucked compared to what I was getting. You know, it was like a big deal to do this. And 
Well, I was just going to go do it for a summer and be like, yeah, I'm going to go learn about trails and get my hands dirty and have fun. And then I'm going to go back to grad school for like watershed management or something and, or, you know, branch out into more stream restoration work. And so Rich Edwards and Chris K. Meyer actually at the time uh, were the two guys who hired me on. And, you know, I think definitely having the engineering background was, <laughs> they were like, wow, this is, this is cool probably scratching their heads like why the heck is this guy <laughs> leaving this plush salary for for this work and then again rich thought i lived in the south and, and as as we'll talk about my emba career there's there was a lot of work in the south so yeah i mean i guess you know i wanted to you know long-winded answer right <laughs> i wanted to get out of uh get out of the cubicle and you know i wanted to see the world and just do things and, and help people and eventually it turned out that like there's a very real career in this in trail planning and design specifically where i where i kind of my career headed and yeah imba made that career possible so that's why i spent yeah pretty much almost seven years there <laughs> well and you came to imba at a, at a pivotal time too you know it was it was when dave weens was now the executive director and the whole approach to what imba was doing as both a nonprofit. And then also the trail solutions side was kind of being revamped because Mike Repiak was new, I believe at that point as well, you know, and there's just a a lot of things. And then you had, and, and the trail industry itself was kind of starting to really blow up. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, that was, um, let's just say it was a, it was a slightly rocky time frame, but there was definitely some, some turnover and change. So it was, it was (laughs) interesting to be a part of that. But uh, yeah, the folks they brought on and the way they grew, I mean, it was just being a part of that growth. It felt exponential. It felt wild. You know, the the job turned into everything I loved about consulting. If you ask folks, they'll probably say I worked hard. Like I love chasing down work and, and finding work and being able to help people. You know, so I was always reaching out to people and talking to people. So, you know, it's that part of consulting where it's like you're helping people you know you're trying to fill your schedule and and do good work and just find these opportunities and so i love that you know and and all the nitty-gritty part of it too all all the in the weeds like planning design permitting that kind of stuff i enjoy that so i got to do all that but it was around trails and and mountain biking let's dive into one of your projects that might be one of your harder projects and one of your earlier on projects and this kind of caught me by surprise because we were talking, I remember talking about this with you when we were flagging for a trail project we did here in the cross, but you were talking about Johnson city, Tennessee and, and how steep it was there. And we were on a pretty steep section of, of trail or what, what was soon to become trail in lacrosse where we were physically standing. And I'm like, standing there listening to you going, how much steeper can it get than this? <laughs> yeah. East Tennessee. Yeah. They got steep mountains there, steep hillsides. Nothing that I was necessarily used to. Tannery Knobs was one of my first, probably the first role I kind of had as a project manager. And, you know, I'll credit Rich Edwards with giving me that that opportunity, um, whether that was by design or (laughs) by necessity. You know, I think we look back and it worked out. But yeah, you know, I I remember showing up, Rich explaining this site to me. Um, We got 45 acres of hillside in downtown johnson city 
Um, it's like smack dab next to I-26. And, you know, this guy purchased this property. It came with all this like lower property. Um, and he's a contractor. There's a cement plant, you know, but he had no use for this, like 45 acres of like wooded mega steep hillside. And he got talking. That guy's name was Grant Summers. And he got talking with a couple guys, Chad Wolf and Abe McIntyre. And uh, yeah, they got talking about bikes. Chad was the owner of the Trek Johnson City Trek Shop. And so they, you know, they were like, oh, a bike park, like bike trails. So they reached out to Embo and brought us in. And I, I should have known the project was was going to be blessed with for success when our very first meeting was at at this little uh this little place pennyman's diner uh, i just remember the sandwich the breakfast club so we met in this like very classic diner it's been done over since then still very nice but like classic little diner and they told us we had to order this thing called the breakfast club and when they explained it to me it was like yeah i'm gonna order that thing so it's uh what <laughs> it's a blt and a sausage egg and cheese like smashed together as a club sandwich and it was like Heck yeah, dude. Like, this is awesome. So we sat in the back corner, me, Rich, and those guys and chatted about this place. And then we go up there. And I've never seen anything like this. You know, it was just incredibly steep. Johnson City is like right on the edge of the Ridge and Valley um, province where you got some really unique formations up in the mountains on the west side of the Blue Ridge. So it's like, it was this shale. So it was like this super friable, like, beautiful dirt just made beautiful beautiful dirt that like drained really well it was also steep uh, but held its shape but there was just bedrock right under a lot of those super steep slopes especially the drains like deep blue shale yeah i mean it's the sort of thing that like i could stand on the hillside and like put my elbow and like lean against it like it was a wall it was you know it was the sort of thing where <laughs> uh when you drop something <laughs> you just spent the next half hour recovering it because like it was easy to slide after it to the bottom but to carry it back up definitely took a while so i learned a lot of lessons on that one yeah you know that was uh got to live in johnson city for six months great people you know the first phase the the first phase we got stuck in uh this long-term hotel um you know for contractors and and other folks <laughs> Oh, and that was just an interesting, interesting life. Luckily, they they gave us a cooler full of beer from uh, a local brewery and a bunch of leftover food from from one of the work days. So we survived on like Bojangles chicken and, <laughs> and beer for a while. But um, the second phase, they put us up. They had connections with an apartment downtown above a new uh, tap room that went in with craft beer. It was also the time that my buddy who was on the job with me, who now lives there um, and married a woman there. Uh, shout out to Josh Collins. He started dating Hannah at this time. So I was left alone living in this apartment above a tap room. So, you know, I did my due diligence to help them stay in business every night. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was a great project. You know, there, there was a, a lot of good support from the community on it. You know, we had some awesome work days out there. We had to literally jackhammer in some of the trail because it was just pure bedrock. So there's some bench bench cut on that trail system that will literally be around pretty much forever <laughs> for a very long time. 
So, you know, I was like learning, learning a lot about like what went into building really high quality trail and in conditions like that. Um, and it was an awesome piece of design work. Shout out to Joey Klein. That was, I learned a lot from him on a number of projects, but he came in and helped tweak the design for tannery knobs. And so it was, to me, it was just such a good story about really high quality design work. You know, we had 3.8 miles. There's actually, um, and they're building it right now. Josh Collins and, and volunteers are adding more mileage to that. So there's like another four miles. Um, but there's a number of really just high quality, diverse trails. It's like a fun little bike park. So we had a number of folks help on that too. Contractors like Val Naylor, for instance, she just told me the other day how she stops there a lot driving up from Brevard because it's right off the highway. We had, you know, elevated Peter Mills was out there. He was great. You know, he helped build this probably the, the most infamous entrance. Um, if anyone's seen pictures from Tannery Noms, there's this like massive boulder field. It's pretty much goes fall line and just massive boulders. And funny story about that, you know, that's a very classic filter feature, right? Like it's it's a part of the sort of the passive design that goes into these trails. And we were out there talking about risk management and and liability with the city. <laughs> and with um and we walked up to the entrance of that. And one of the the councilmen, you know, he was like, I I would never ride my bike down this. And I was like, Yeah, perfect. <laughs> like, good. That's what it was supposed to do. Scare the crap out of you. Like <laughs> so um yeah, you know, and, and um we just had great support. Jenny Brock, she was uh the mayor at the time. She went to that first trail lab. You remember that Johnson City cohort. Um, you know, she was very supportive of that project. Um, it was awesome. You know, it was, it was great. And it was great to open folks' eyes to that, you know, high quality trail. Yeah. And I remember that trail labs because that's actually, I was going to weave that into this and that they actually brought their own news reporter from Johnson City, Tennessee to that trail labs. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. I remember that now. There was a lot of, a lot of folks. I forget who else they sent, but it was great. You know, I remember standing on Tannery Knobs with some of the city councilmen talking about ROI, like the value of this this type of recreational infrastructure. And they were telling me a story about, you know, trying to develop some soccer fields. And I'll probably get all the numbers wrong, but you know, they live in very mountainous terrain. Johnson City. It's beautiful. People should visit Northeast Tennessee. It's like just on the other side of the mountains from Asheville. It's a great place, really good people. But they were they were trying to build a soccer complex. You know, it's like all the rage to build these like massive sports field complexes and host these tournaments, right? Because all these people come to town and spend money. Well, you got to buy the land. So like there's a couple million dollars. Then you got to level the land because it's all mountainous. So there's more money. And I want to say these fields cost, you know, like a million dollars a piece. They're all like lit and like all the fancy stuff, right? All the supporting infrastructure, the parking lot that has to go to these things. So he's telling me about this and it's like, whatever, 20 fields, right? Like $20 million worth of soccer fields. And I was like, yeah, so like those are going to get used. What all 20 of those fields are going to get used. What a couple times a year. Other than that, like they might get used. One field might get used every night by like, you know, the local team or whatever. And I pointed over to Buffalo mountain where the city owns a park. They got like 1200 feet of elevation. Um, It's just like, couple hundred acres. It's huge. We actually ended up doing a concept plan on this, on that park. But it was like, give me a million dollars and we could build something that'll 
that could probably bring just as many people here over the course of a year because you're right off the interstate. You know, you've just got this. That's that park was five minutes off the interstate, right near downtown. So, yeah, it's a great project, Johnson City, and that project they hold a very special place in my heart. Yeah, and, and Jenny Brock was super forward thinking in terms of a mayor. In fact, I was in a in a breakout group with her during that Imba, that first Imba Trail Labs. And she actually looked at me and she apologized. She goes, I'm sorry for my generation because, and I was like kind of taken back. I'm like, really? Why? She's like, well, because it's typically my generation that's against, you know, mountain biking, being in the woods and like, and whatnot. And I'm like, you know, you're not wrong. And living in lacrosse, that actually really rung true to me. I mean, Tennessee, I don't know if I would truly understand it because there's so much mountain biking and there's so much access and they look at mountain biking as a great conservation tool. But living where I live, it really, it said, it said a lot to me. Yeah. No, she was awesome. I think she was very instrumental in like Tea Trail and a lot of the other stuff going on. So yeah. Yeah. She was the mayor of a mid-sized city and she was very friendly. Like I, I always enjoyed talking with her, usually on the top of Tannery Knobs. <laughs> yeah. And if I remember right, they have a, what, a Toyota plant or something there? Is that their big industry? Oh, I, there's a plant over in... Uh, I don't know what's there. But yeah, they're trying to, they're definitely using outdoor recreation, I believe, to attract people to their community, which is obviously a theme we talk about a lot on here. Yeah. Yeah. Now the whole Northeast Tennessee, um, you know, like I said, we did a plan at Buffalo Mountain. Eventually that'll work through like a city master planning process and hopefully some trails will be built. Well, they have trails, so enhance some of those trails and build new ones. Just up the road is Irwin. Great little small outdoor outpost on the Nola Chucky AT. Um, we did some work for them through a tag, you know, which I'm sure we'll talk about tag. <laughs> They're building that out, you know. There's a dig-in project going on uh, out there too, I believe. And yeah, Northeast Tennessee is just really all of Eastern Tennessee, you know. Johnson City, Knoxville, Chattanooga to me is some of the most progressive mountain bike development right now. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Trail Labs because we were at the first IMBA Trail Labs together. I was there as a as a participant. And you were there as a IMBA speaker, guest, you know, all things stormwater management. And it was the first one ever. So kind of like we had no idea. You had you probably had no idea going into it what it would be like. I definitely had no idea. And and I'll be honest, the reason why I went was because I had met at this point I'd been to Bentonville a bunch of times. And I'd met Gary Vernon uh maybe three months before that. And he suggested, he goes, you need to go to this. And I'm like, okay, I'll take your word for it and I'll go, you know? And, and it became so much more than just a trail labs. But what, what were your thoughts coming out of that session, but then seeing what trail labs has come to be now, and now it's called trail labs foundations. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I actually found looking through the old pictures, <laughs> a picture I took in the living room, pretty crappy picture, but you know, there's rich Edwards, there's Danny Twilly. There's Mike Repiak, you know, it wasn't everyone, but we were sitting at an Airbnb, you know, admittedly putting this thing together the day before, <laughs> you know, putting the final polishing touches on it. But anyone who's put on a presentation knows, you know, you're, you're always down to the wire trying to make it perfect. So, yeah, you know, I think I mostly got invited to that because, right, because I asked. <laughs> I, I was, like I said, I, I always want to do more. <laughs> so um and, and uh I'm a halfway halfway decent speaker some I would say for a trail builder so they probably 
wanted me to get that experience. So that's how I ended up there. You know, it was, it was pretty powerful. It was my first time going to Bentonville. So, I mean, that in and of itself is, is kind of like an odyssey, you know, traveling there and, and seeing what's going on, meeting all these people yourself. You know, there was a, a number of other folks there too. And obviously uh, the Johnson city crew was there. There's some folks from Southwest Virginia. I remember chatting with, yeah, it was just great. You know, the energy and whatnot and to see what it's turned into, you know, it's, it's, it's just a great, you know, this is probably why they use the foundation. It's a great foundational education for, for folks. And, you know, when I tell people about it, I've always cautioned, like, this is not like a trail build school. Like don't go as a volunteer thinking you're going to walk away knowing how to nick or like build a berm. This is especially important for like land managers and decision makers and funders, you know, people who can make decisions and, and have money. So I think that's been the most powerful part of it. And, and you know, obviously some of that power is in the case study. And, and this year, you know, I, I listened to Mike's <laughs> um, show a couple of weeks ago, you know, and he talked a little bit about that Cedar City trail out, right? So they moved it out West. And so being able to showcase these places is part of the magic, I think, but, but bringing everyone together um, and just showing the, the power of trails, mountain biking, outdoor recreation, you know, everybody knows about it, but putting some numbers to it and talking about the process, I think is really important for those decision makers. So they, so they have a better understanding of how you actually make these projects happen. Yeah. And I, you know, I admittedly, I went to that not as a land manager, you know, and Jed, the other person from across that was here with me, he also was not a land manager. We both went because we knew we couldn't get our land managers to come. So we wanted to be able to pick up some talking points to be able to go back to yeah. our community. You know, and I think one of the important parts of this is like just really understanding as a mountain biker and a trail user, how trails actually come to be, you know? And, and, and so it has a lot of value. Yeah, you won't learn how to build anything. And I don't think that's actually necessarily necessary because when you look at the landscape of how trails come to be, and I've said this multiple times, when you get to building, all the hard work is done. It may seem like building is hard because it is physically hard, but going through the approval processes, getting the money, getting the permitting, getting the planning done, getting all the things that need to be done before you can actually put a shovel in the ground, that's, that's the actual hard work. You know, and so be able to be able to learn about that in one pl in one place is pretty incredible. Yeah, you know, um, obviously, as a planner and designer, I believe that planning and design are very important. But um, Trail Labs, I think, really puts that in perspective for a lot of people because forever we've always thought about construction. You know, and it's it's almost a hobby unto itself in the culture of mountain biking. People like building trails, but. You know, I often tell folks, especially folks who might be questioning of the process, they're like, why do we have to do all this? You know, I'm going to throw it back at mountain bikers. Like, you've done a really good job convincing people that this is a worthwhile thing. And now they're putting lots of money and effort and resources into this. So we really want to make sure these projects are successful. And so, you know, Trail Labs does a really good job, I think, of explaining that process and really harping on why planning and design are just like vital to a successful project. Yeah. Let's go into planning and design. And I'm going to, I'm going to say that as let's go into the trail accelerator grant program, because that program was kind of done in conjunction with 
with Trail Labs. And I remember when I filled out the grant application for that first Trail Accelerator grant, one of the, one of the scoring criteria was, did you attend Trail Labs? Uh, up until this, up until I, every, every round that has been <laughs> a piece of it. So yeah, yeah. Attending a Trail Lab or someone from your community attending a Trail Lab is really important. Tag. I mean, whew, what can I say? It's to me one of the most successful projects Imba's done. You know, my tenure there is relatively short compared to the organization, but in my time, I think it was the most successful program. And and by successful, I mean it got good trail on the ground for lots and lots of people. It's really kind of revolutionary. You know, there's again, you know, you walk into a room and you tell people there's a lot of money out there to build trail on you know, some clubs and people shake their heads like, no, there's not. And it's like, well, there is, there is a lot of money. Building trail is fun. It's cool. People want to fund the fun, cool stuff. <laughs> there wasn't really that much funding and grants for planning and design, which as I just talked about, you know, are just vital. And so to have the Walton Family Foundation and a number of these other industry partners come forward and fund the Trail Accelerator Grant Program is just amazing. I mean, it's it's them putting their money where their mouth is saying, yes, this is important. We need to do this as a community. And the number of projects that I've been a part of with TAG that are now like completed or like being built out is like a lot. <laughs> a lot of good things have come out of TAG. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited. So if, if you're listening, you got a project, apply for TAG. <laughs> well, and you know, when, when it really rang true to me as being what you just said, which is there isn't really anything out there for any money out there for planning and design in terms of like grants and stuff is I was on the phone. I remember this, this is the same summer as Trail Accelerator Grant Program and Amber Trail Lab. And I had told the, the Wisconsin State Trails Coordinator, the main person, I told her that we were applying for this, this grant. And she said to me, her exact words, maybe not exact, but her words back to me was, I've never heard of a grant in my role that paid, that actually paid for planning and design. You know, there's, there's RPT grants and other grants out there that are there for construction, but you can't really qualify for those if you don't have a plan. No, you know, I, I, I always tell people, you know, it's like, it's like starting a business, right? Like if you walk into the bank, cause you want to start Joe's burger shack and ask them for a million dollars, they're going to be like, what, <laughs> who are you? You walk in with a business plan that explains what you want to do why it's going to work, you know, how you're going to go about doing it, a timeline associated with what you're going to do, costs associated with what you're going to do, then it might be a different story. It's the same when you're asking people for money to build trails. It's the same exact thing, whether it's RTP grant or some other state grant you might have, or you're going to a local foundation, or you're just asking your neighbor to donate to a project. Like If you can tell people why this is important for the community, how you're going to do it, you know, what you are doing, the next steps, you know, an idea of the costs, you're going to get so much more buy-in. So that's, yeah, primarily planning, you know, to me is about A, everybody being able to point to like a shared vision. Like we can all say, yeah, this is what we are doing. <laughs> and B, you know, a funding, you know, going after funding, you know, it, it helps outline what you need to do next. You know, plans are not set in stone, stuff changes, but like at the beginning, of that process of developing a trail, you know, planning and it answers so many 
vital questions. You know, <laughs> if if anyone has ever listened to me like give a talk, I, I give a lot of talks on planning and design. You know, I talk about people always have these like, oh, my trail system has this issue or this issue, and it's like all of those issues, like ninety nine percent of those issues that you have, those very site specific like little things, you know, social conflict or erosion, all of that probably could have been mitigated through better planning and design. And quite frankly, planning and design costs significantly less than construction. So if you can use that small amount of funding um, and, and use those resources to answer a lot of those questions, as many as you can, and have a good idea of what you're going to do, you know, it just makes everything that much more efficient. And especially now, like, I'll go back to what I kind of said, you know, we're asking a lot out of trails. As a society, you know, trails are cool and a lot of people are using trails and we are asking so much out of our trails. You know, we're telling our local governments and, you know, our community that trails are going to bring people to town. Trails are going to like have an economic impact, you know, trails provide health and wellness benefits. And it's all true, but like we're asking a lot. So I think we owe it to ourselves to do really good planning and design to make sure that these trail systems are actually meeting those goals and objectives we have in, in as low an impact way as they can because they're on oftentimes open space public lands natural areas yeah and i know this i've thrown these numbers out before and so anybody that's listened to this show a handful of times definitely know is about, is about to listen to what i've already said in the past i'll use lacrosse for an example because it's what i know is good as i mean i, I know it better than anything so we had we 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 applied for a tag grant. It was a thirty thousand dollars grant, fifteen thousand dollars matched by the city of Lacrosse, the uh, the parks department, and with that plan, we were able to take those construction documents and planning doc design documents to an individual who had asked about donating to our local trail organization, and he was a contractor in the building trades of housing and stuff like that. And so when we we showed him the plan, and he could look at say, oh, there's you know, so many square feet for a rock arm ringer, so many each items for, for turns and there's different turn types and so much per linear foot for trail tread. Like that all spoke his language. And he then donated over $400,000 to get that trail system built. And so to illustrate your comment about planning is so much less expensive than the build, but yet that just opened a door to an avenue that we didn't even know existed before he came to us. We didn't, we didn't solicit this to anybody. You know, we were, we were kind of wondering how we were going to get the money. Yeah. Yeah. You know, planning and design typically runs in like the tens of thousands, you know, and, and construction is millions and millions of dollars. So I can, I, <laughs> almost any project that was a part of, uh, you know, I think I can point to like the planning and the design as being the reason they got funding, you know, the reason that they accelerated their project. Let's talk about some projects you've been involved with. Let's dive into some, maybe you have some unique stories from uh, some of the different communities. Ah. And I'm just going to, I have a list of them here. We, and this isn't going to go in any specific order, you know, for, for Steve or any chronological order as far as like when they were built. But maybe it'll be like a game of, I say, I say the community, you talk about, you know, your, what you had going on in that community and some stuff that maybe surprised you or interesting stuff for the listener. Cacapin State Park, West Virginia and Thunderstruck. Uh, started as a tag. <laughs> so we, uh, this was actually, yep. Yeah. I remember the first visit to Kikapin, me and, uh, Eric and, and Mark Hoyle, awesome folks. 
uh, it was when COVID first hit. So I remember it was like, I was on the road and it was like, ah, maybe I should start getting home now. Uh, but I'll, we'll stop at this one real quick because it's on the way home. And Rich Edwards, I'll, I'll talk about him. Rich will be a part of almost every story. <laughs> he was still on with Emba and had done a quick visit to Kakapin because it was right out his back door. And was like, yeah, this this place is special. And Rich and I think alike when we think of special. Like we, there's a certain type of terrain that gets us very excited. And Kakapin was full of that terrain, which is to say, very rocky. <laughs> so we put together a whole master plan. You know, they they had done an awesome job. There, there was a great mountain bike group there that had kind of slowly been getting momentum going through resurrecting some trail and, and doing some rake and ride. They got some money to build a NICA loop, um, which Zach Adams, Appalachian Dirt, knocked it out of the park. He was actually building when we did this first visit, and he was just dealing with some crazy seeps. I mean, the place, he was down in the lowlands, well below where Thunderstruck is, and yeah, he has some interesting drainage issues. So, But he is a top-notch builder and, and, and knows terrain like that. You know, that NICA loop really, I think, lit people's eyes up, you know, when they saw how accessible, like a bike optimized green trail can be for everybody, but especially kids that drew a lot of attention. So we did this master plan because they basically the state park director opened up, uh, six, what was it? 1600 acres. It was a whole bunch of land. It was just like, here, here's half the you know, two thirds of the park. We got nothing going on and you mountain bikers want this. It was like, yeah, we'll take that. And so, you know, Kakape a really special place, old CCC, um, so there's old, you know, conservation core trail out there. Um, they got an old lodge, you know, there's these cabins, it's, there's golf course, there's all this stuff. And there's a road to the top. There's like a four mile gravel road and you gain, there's 1400 feet kind of from like the trailhead to the top. So you got 1400 feet of elevation. Um, you've got a road to an overlook on the top, just majestic. You are standing in the Ridge and Valley which is just some beautiful terrain, you know, long, straight ridges, big valleys between just absolutely gorgeous. And then you've just got like this plethora of like sandstone that's just been like spilling off the top of the mountain, like these huge plates, just like perfect rock. to, And it's just like all this bedrock, everything like the bedrock was laying with the slope, which was really nice. Um, so you had like, you know, big, big back slopes of rock and stuff you could work with or roll downs. And so they wanted to do a signature trail, as they call it. That was Mark's dream, was like this signature trail from the top. It's like, okay, let's go signature. So the, through the tag, you know, we did a plan and just some design. We designed that one trail. They were able to get a bunch of RTP money. You know, through the whole discussion, it was clear that like this was going to end up being a handbell trail. There was no way a machine was going to build this. And that was awesome because you don't see that a lot because it is very labor intensive. And it was an opportunity to bring in the Appalachian Conservation Corps. So like, you know, the grandchild of the CCC or whatever. Like, so here's this like youth core with sort of the same mission and structure who was there a hundred years ago doing trail work. We were able to bring them in. So there's like this flavor of workforce development and education because we really as IMBA provided just some lead builders. Um, so shout out to Josh Collins. Joey Klein and Chris Orr, those three literally gave blood, sweat, and tears to this project. Josh knocked it out of the park. Guy took the machine further into this minefield than we thought anyone could and just laid down like 
beautiful, beautiful rock work. And then the handbelt stuff is just out of this world. I was able to stop there on my my last trip with him, but I went down to Pisgah for a workshop. And on the way back, did the full pole because the gate, the road's gated. So it was like perfect. No one's up there. In November, they they gate the road November to like April. So I did this massive, you know, couple mile climb to ride Thunderstruck. And it was just everything because I hadn't seen the whole trail yet. Everything that I think Rich and I hoped it would be. It had this this character that you felt like you were way out in like the G-Dub and the George Washington National Forest. Like it felt like this old sort of old school trail that's been there a long time. But everything just like worked really well on a bike. Like it was very clearly bike optimized. So that's where, you know, those folks we had out there as crew leaders, they were helping make decisions and teach techniques to the to the bunch of youth we had out there, young adults, you know, for making stuff work on a bike. And that's that's not to say it's an easy trail. It is definitely. <laughs> um, but you know, I don't know. I love that style of trail, that like narrow, rugged very hard. And, and so to be able to, to help bring that one to life uh, was really special. Um, and there's more coming. You know, if you want to talk about leverage of planning, I can't remember numbers on almost any tag project. Probably should, I could have done some homework, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure they, they got like, you know, 10, maybe 15,000. So, you know, it was like a 20 to $30,000 planning and design project. And they received, you know, a $3.5 million EDA grant that I, the you know i'm sure rich and the other folks mentioned in their podcast there from oedc so yeah i mean they're going to build out 35 miles of trail and more of that hand-built rocky stuff is coming so yeah i couldn't i couldn't keep up with the math that rich kept throwing out during his conversation because like it, to me it was just like it it actually i kept thinking to myself it's like they're throwing out numbers that are almost would rival places things you'd hear in bentonville yeah, no, it's West crazy. Virginia. West Virginia has a very special place in my heart. And they have some awesome stuff going on. Some really good stuff coming on. So keep your eyes on West Virginia. Well, let's go a little bit further south. Yeah. Let's go to Old Fort, North Carolina. And <laughs> what they what the G5 collective is doing and revitalizing this community. You know, there's just a lot of stuff coming out of, you know, and when I think of Pisca, like I'll be honest, like that's not the part of Pisgah that really pops into my head first, right? Yeah, it's the other Pisgah, grandfather district. Yeah. So, yeah, this was a, <laughs> this is a theme, eh? This is another tag project. <laughs> um, un, un, unintentional, by the way. I did not, I didn't pull this list from any tag resource. This is just places I knew Steve has been. Again, tags is a successful project so, or successful programs. So, I mean, no, no doubt these projects are successful, but old for, yeah. I mean, you know, like I said, when I took the job, I lived in Charlotte and every weekend from Charlotte, I would go to Pisgah and ride my at the time single speed <laughs> around Pisgah. I absolutely loved it. That's again, that I love that rugged, steep backcountry type riding. So to be given the chance to work in the Pisgah National Forest, just a, a venerable mecca of mountain biking, especially on the East Coast. Like I've heard about it forever since I picked up a bike. So to actually be able to work there was just incredible. I mean, I, I feel so lucky for all the work I got to do for all the communities I got to visit. But but this is, yeah, this is a cool one. So, I mean, they brought us in to do design work, really, because 
they have such a robust um group there you know and especially jason and lisa that's who i worked with a lot but they they had done a lot of engagement and sort of planning work leading up you know to this project and so if folks aren't familiar with how projects get done on a national forest you know in very brief <laughs> there's something called the NEPA process uh the national environmental policy act um and so part of that includes review you know they're reviewing for things like environmental natural resources cultural resources and so to review they got to have an idea of what they're going to do so that's where design comes in and so you know depending on the forest and the the ranger district and whatnot they might do different things but here we needed to have some lines flagged so that this third-party consultant because it was such a big project the forest service wasn't be able to review it themselves so this group you know because they're very strong and they have good fundraising this third-party consultant was doing the nipa um, so they needed to be able to like you know see where we were suggesting they put the trails so I love NEPA projects, you know, the IRT, the integrated resources team, it's like, I'm a geek about natural resources and public land management. <laughs> and so being able to be on a call with like the wildlife biologists and the fisheries people and, you know, the engineer with the bridges and the foresters and the other rec techs, all of these people, like, you know, the, the archeologists, like, it's just awesome to learn about all this stuff. So old fort, like I was so excited going into it. I can't remember what Lisa capped us at for trail mileage, but it was well below what we came up with. <laughs> you know, coming in, it was like, we're going to do X amount, you know, you're going to flag X amount of miles. And it's like, well, we'll see about that. Like, <laughs> um, and they had this incredible LIDAR data. They had like six inch resolution LIDAR. Like they were like, we have a CD. And I was like, my laptop doesn't have a CD. Like they don't do that anymore. What do you mean you have a CD? <laughs> so. They mailed me, they, they mailed it to me, a USB with all these tiles, you know, and this is getting into like geeky speak with GIS, but um, massive amount of data <laughs> describing in six inch resolution, the topographic conditions of this whole area. Um, so it was just like overwhelming for my little, my little laptop to work on, uh, but I got to work, you know, and, and part of that, especially in this part of the world, I did a slope analysis. And so I had all these different representations of like how steep stuff was, because in this part of the world, like it was really important to understand where, where cliffs are because you're like, you're literally on your hands and knees crawling around in Laurel. I mean, field work is, is I absolutely love field work, but it is not a walk in the park. It is hard work. And, and this site was just incredible. I mean, we had to get the keys to the Blue Ridge it was shut down because it was winter time when we were doing our design work. So the Blue Ridge Parkway. So, you know, we were able to get permission to go up there. Um, and it was, you, know, you can see why they shut it down. They don't maintain it. Definitely got icy, but we had, cause we had to hike in. I mean, it was some of the biggest bushwhacks I've done. It, it would easily be three or four hours just to get to the place where you had to start flagging some of this trail. I mean, we had an 11 mile drive on a forest road in a UTV that they, they helped get for us. That was just crazy. We actually, <laughs> we actually had to pick it up at this fella's house and drive it through town. And luckily, everybody knows the local police guy. So, like, he gave us he gave us a little bit of a a flashing light parade through town as we drove this side by side out to the site. It was special, you know. And, and 
early on when we did that slope analysis, you know, I kept hearing from them because they had a concept plan, right? And that was that X amount of miles that Lisa Jennings from the Forest Service told me was my limit. But we always heard about like the inclusion, the accessibility, right? Like Pisgah is known for a certain style of ride. And that's great. And I guarantee that this old four project has more of that. But what this old four project has that's really, really special is what they did first, the gateway trips. And so early on, you know, getting into like planning and design a little bit, you know, they had identified really like one trail leaving the trailhead. And it was like, hold on a sec. Let's have way more trails leaving the trailhead so that people have the opportunity to make decisions based on the experience that they're seeking. I mean, that this is going into like <laughs> a little bit of the theory behind trails. You know, it all comes down to experience. People are out there for usually fairly selfish reasons, right? Like, <laughs> but there's like, there's a certain experience that elicits these feelings. And that's why people, that is the basis of recreation and leisure, leisure time. Like, that's why they're doing these things. So to give people a lot of decisions was really important. And one thing I identified really early on was there was this ridge right near the trailhead, which was 200 feet in elevation and had some of the most mellow slope on the entire property. When I say mellow, it doesn't mean it was like super mellow. There were certainly still some steep areas, but it was like relatively like, you know, in like 40% range instead of like 60, 80% side slopes or 100 plus percent side slopes. So, yeah, it was just, it was a great area to put some loops of like greens and blues. And so I brought this idea back to the group and they were like, yes, run with it. And, and we ended up like bumping, the, we ended up flagging 35 miles. The project got NEPA for 42 miles. There were some hiking trails the Forest Service did on their own, which was well more than what <laughs> I think the ranger at first allowed. But again, kudos to that group. But I mean... Some of the highlights of that project, uh, Star Gap, if folks are familiar with Heartbreak Ridge, ends in Star Gap. The Star Gap Trail actually used to extend even further, um, and it was just abandoned by the Forest Service. In the LIDAR data, we were able to find the old bench cut for some of that trail. You could see it. You could see the turns that were built. You could tell. I mean, you can see roads really well in LIDAR data, but this was like a three or four foot wide bench cut. So we went and we found it. It was in great shape. It had a crappy crossing of a stream. So there was some reroute, but we essentially resurrected what was like the old Star Gap Trail. So that's just incredible. You know, the basis of the project started when Jason really, Jason McDougal, he wanted to connect Heartbreak Ridge like further down. So there's an extension of Heartbreak Ridge. But like it goes without saying that the highlight, and this, I put this up there with highlights in my entire input career was working on the design of like what I affectionately call the Rocky Mountain trail alignment. It's like C whatever <laughs> in the in the planning docs. But that's why we had to access the Blue Ridge Parkway. You know, we had to get up there, basically break off. It's the ridge just to the east of Heartbreak. It's this massive long ridge ride. Drops thousands of feet. You know, we were starting on the Blue Ridge Parkway on some of the tallest mountains on the you could literally look and see Mount Mitchell, like the tallest mountain on the East Coast. Um, so here we are in Pisgah National Forest, you know, just like some of the most revered mountain bike terrain on the East Coast, standing on some of the tallest mountains on the East Coast. This was the first national forest 
So like this was the first national forest on the East. So being able to like be a part of that, that public lands history as well, just incredible. And, and now you give me like a six mile long ridge, ridge line, just super remote backcountry trail to design, like incredible, really incredible. I mean, being out there bushwhacking, it, it's really special to do like trail design. Like Tannery Knobs is a great example of this. <laughs> like I have all these memories of like what that property used to look like. <laughs> and so I'm probably, you know, there was like an old fire break out there. So some people have definitely explored that ridge, but like there's a knob in the middle that's just got incredible views. Um, and it's like, you know, how many people have been up there? Hopefully a lot more once the trail gets built, but it was hard work getting to that point. And it was a super difficult design coming, you know, it was fun going down the ridge was like cakewalk. That's easy. Getting off that ridge. I remember me and Josh Collins just scratching our freaking heads trying to figure out and and we piece something together <laughs> that, that definitely has some steeps we kept telling ourselves it's pisgah <laughs> yeah for sure what do you know off the top of your head what out of that out of what you guys have designed and planned how much of that's been built to date they, i think they did about six miles of the gateway trails yeah so one other thing about like what's special that trailhead they had is like a 200 car trailhead it was just massive fields and like, if anyone's been to Pisgah, you know, there's like nowhere to park. It's all mountains. Again, going back to like the Johnson City story, if someone could put a building there, they did, you know, so it was incredible that the Forest Service owned flat ground. Um, so there's about six miles of the gateway. They are adding a nature trail at the gateway. And then they are building this year and they're building the Bernard Mountain Trail, which was another very fun trail to flag. Did that one with my good buddy, Adam Wrights. That was one of the last trails we did. If anyone's been to Pisgah, you know Kits, you know Kitsuma. It's one of the few trails in this area that people probably know. Um, and it's a great short ride with the greenway back up, like which is rare in Pisgah to like be able to go do like an afternoon sort of ride or like a two-hour ride. Um, so that's that's where Kitsuma shines. It's this beautiful ridge run, you know, and then you can climb back up this old road, this greenway. Well, Bernard is just the ridge to the north of that. So now it's going to offer two of these like, like intermediate timescale options for, for riders, which I think is just a beautiful thing. You can do some hot laps of like three mile long ridgeline descents. <laughs> well, speaking of descents, let's move west. Let's go to Chattanooga. Walden's Ridge. Yeah. yeah. Chattanooga. That's going to open soon. Yeah, sure is. Sure is. Chattanooga's, um, gosh, when I, when I took that job in Charlotte, I actually stayed at this place called the crash pad, um, in Chattanooga. And at the time this was 10 ish years ago, that side of Chattanooga was not, not the greatest, but anyway, I, I fell in love with this. I had a blast. I had a lot of fun. And, uh, and I rode raccoon mountain and I had an absolute awesome ride. So Chat was a place that like I'd always kind of known about Chattanooga. And I, I spent a bunch of time working on another project. We'll hit on McClellan. Like I would stay in Chattanooga on the way down. So I was so excited to see this tag come through. And, and this was um this was a first round tag. Yeah, it was the yeah. same round as as what lacrosse is awarded. Because we're all first rounders. And so, you know, I basically got the note that like, hey, you know, they want to do this bike park, they got this land, and you're like, what? Like I know Chattanooga and like, it's, 
Walden's Ridge is like the the start of the Cumberland Plateau. And and this like the plateau country is so exciting. So like moving from the Ridge and Valley, you know, old forts like distinctly in the Blue Ridge kind of it's the escarpment right there. <laughs> you drop down the escarpment um, when you go to old fort. You know, now I'm in the completely this is one of the my favorite things about the job is all these landscapes I got to see, you know. I loved interacting with just such diverse landscapes. So now we're on the Cumberland Plateau. Um, and you have this like escarpment essentially like this huge cliff you know and when you drive up to the site you drive up this historic w road is what it's called and literally the site at the top is the last place you can it's like there's a gate there when they shut the road down and there's these crazy like one car only switchbacks you got to go up to to get on top of the mountain so you know people in this area are familiar with it but if you're not like it's literally a plateau and there's like a cliff and so you got to break through the cliff to get get to the top. Um, so, you know, below this cliff, forever and ever, rocks have been falling off. Um, so the the place is littered with rocks, and it's it's just a beautiful place. And and you know, we we got invited in, and you know, to do this planning and design work, and it was tough. It was a really hard project, you know. The South, sometimes like some of these terrain types can be super easy. You can just quickly kind of understand how you can break this landscape up into the relevant experiences that the community is seeking to kind of meet their goals and the land manager's goals and all that stuff. Walden's was tough, you know, like we practically just did an inventory on cool rock features, right? (laughs) Um, Because there's just so many like wicked cool features. And, you know, the the story with that one is that the land trust, so shout out to Taft Sibley, who at the time was with North Chickamauga Creek Conservancy. You know, they own this land nowhere near North Chick Creek where they focus their conservation efforts. So, and it was just appealing for recreation. And Chattanooga, one of the reasons I love Chattanooga, A, it's got really good beer, but B, like the culture there is very outdoorsy in a way that is not primarily mountain biking. So Chattanooga is very, very well known for the abundance of like steep whitewater close by um, and the rock climbing. It's like one of the best places to base yourself as a rock climber in the Southeast. So the crash pad hostel, <laughs> that, you know, that's, that's where that comes from. And I stayed there a number of times. Great hostel if you're looking for a fun place to stay in Chattanooga. But so the climbers, the Southeast Climbers Coalition, they were involved in this project. You had the Land Trust for Tennessee, who was helping with some of some of the funding and whatnot. Um, North Chicks, you had land trusts. You had a climbers group. You had Sorba Chattanooga. You know the mountain bikers. So it was a very diverse project, and it was yeah. I remember the first uh, rock 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 hops and drops. I think they called it. We did at Chattanooga Brewing. I'm pretty sure. And, you know, they wanted, to, you know, I we always do like a little bit of a stoke thing sometimes for folks, you know, like we do a quick presentation on like what we've seen, get the community stuck. They had 200 people show this freaking brewery was packed. So I had to have a couple beers to make sure I was like, I've never spoken in front of this many people in my life. Like, <laughs> But, you know, the the design that went into that was, I think, is part of the reason it's it's going to be a big success, you know. They wanted they wanted to push the envelope, right? They wanted a gravity system that was the next step up. And it was right. 
you know, I, I know Chattanooga, I've been through Chattanooga Live, ridden in Chattanooga, and, and I know, you know, through this process too, you, you meet the people and you understand they have a ton of beginner trail. They have a ton of intermediate. They have rocky stuff. They have a, they have a lot of trail. They've done a great job getting trail um, all around Chattanooga. They didn't have necessarily like this very new school, modern, gravity oriented stuff. So it fit very well. The ridership was ready. The community was ready. The land was perfect. Usable elevation was about 900 feet for biking. I think there was about 1,100 feet across the property, but it just gets monstrously steep, steep with massive rocks. So it's not really worth climbing to that corner. The, the terrain just like gave us what we needed, which was thankful because it was tough. But like, so that 900 feet of elevation on the far northern side, the property line is this beautiful scenic stream with like a bunch of cascades and some of the best bouldering. That steep corner I was talking about that was really unusable from a mountain bike perspective was where a lot of the good bouldering was. The boulders that the the boulder, it was very awesome. The climbing group identified all the boulders for us. They and they gave them like a ranking. So all the high quality rock was far away from where we wanted to put gravity trails. There was a couple low quality rocks that they were okay giving up in that gravity zone. So that worked out really well. You know, and so we were able to design a system that allowed for a lot of shared use. So there's this awesome perimeter trail. And then a mid a mid mountain break off, so folks can hike and run and do like some figure eights. Um, the primary climbing trail is on the other side of the property from the stream trail. The stream side trail is still a, an uphill climb for bikes, but it's a lot more technical. Um, so the the design speeds are much less. That's where a lot of people are going to go hang out as like hikers or dog walkers or the boulders because all the boulders are there. You know we took the trail the layout of the trail comes close to a lot of these boulders but not right under them because if you know anything about bouldering they they sprawl out all their mats and they hang out and they have a good time so you know there was a lot of thought that went into this the primary access trail um at the top is all kind of hand built by the volunteers and pretty rocky you know when i was talking to the secc they um secc they they mentioned um you know, I don't know if you know anything about bouldering. And once upon a time, I actually did boulder. Then I took a job for a mountain bike group and so never climbed again. But um, they were like, boulders are kind of like turtles. And if you don't know boulders, they wear these massive pads in to set up under the rock. Um, and a lot of times they like throw one on the front and throw some on the back. So they're, they're exactly like a turtle. They're like waddling down. They can't really see where they're going. So this entry trail, you know, is again, very slow design speeds, very technical, leads to some sort of short technical stuff through the scree field. And so it appeals, it's not like every rider is going to be going there. And instead, there's another trail that really draws your eye and brings you to all these high quality gravity trails that Imba Trail Solutions and, and McGill um, and Barry Smith was a part of some of the trails too. You know, so there's a couple contractors and just super high quality stuff, just really cool use of the train, just some beautiful rock work. You know, I, I think Mike mentioned the sinkhole. I, I swear. I heard, yeah. I swear. I heard someone mention the sinkhole on your, your past podcast, but we found this sinkhole again. I had good LIDAR data. So you could see it. it's this like massive sinkhole. Um, so it was like, Oh, this is freaking awesome. I got, I got to hang out on that one with Randy Spangler. That name rings a bell for anyone. Um, that was absolutely a blast, right? Like, 
be able to hang out with Randy. Like, so yeah. Oh, Missy showed up. <laughs> that was a hoot. Yeah, that Missy, as in like Missy Giovi. Giovi, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. Good. now we're going to the wayback machine. Yeah, I won't tell tell those stories on on the podcast. That's but. probably good. It is explicit, but we do, we want to keep everyone <laughs> <laughs> at least. It was a good time. Good. We had a good time. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Walden's Rid, it's it's a special place. Chattanooga's awesome. You know, it was fun to push the envelope there. You know, it's it's a you don't get to be a part of a lot of those projects, right? Because it's it's few and far between that trails of that caliber are really necessary or appropriate and and that density of them. So awesome project. Hats off to the builders. You know, again, you know, I feel really, really lucky being a part of that the back end of it, the planning and some of the, I did some of the design work and helping push that one through permitting. Yeah. Is that one going to, is there going to be, is that going to be shuttleable or is that going to be self-shuttle? Um, so. And you might not know the answer to that either. So if you don't know the answer, that's fine. Let's just in the plan. We, we said that, you know, there's certainly an opportunity for a business. You could shuttle it with public roads. There's probably, um, you know, I think the lower parking lot is going to get pretty popular. Um, yeah. Well, you said it early on. Let's go there. Let's go to McClellan. Yeah. Okay. McClellan. Yeah. Folks aren't aware, you know, of Anniston, Alabama. Um, again, this is like, I feel so lucky to have had this job because I got to go places that I would never choose to go. Like if I had two weeks of vacation and worked in a cubicle, Anniston, Alabama is probably not high on my list. So someone paid me to go there and hang out. And I feel so, so much better for that. Anniston, for anyone who knows their Imba history, was the site of like Coldwater Mountain trails, that that development, which arguably is like, I think some of the first big, like big mountain bike centric trail system development well before my time. Um, but it always held a special place in, in Rich's heart and a number of other people's. Just a cool place that people spent a lot of time. Shout out to Wig. You know, he was around during that. He's still around. He is such a great guy. Um, Marcus is doing amazing things for that community. They got a paid guy, Marcus, now doing trail work. The city pays him. So hats off to them for that. But Aniston is, um, it's seen better days. You know, if you've been to downtown Aniston, you can tell that it's not it's not where it used to be. And a, a big part of that was the, when they did the base realignments in the nineties, they shut down Fort McClellan. That, that was one that went away. And so this quasi public entity, you know, the state was a part of it. I think the army, it was the McClellan development authority, you know, basically a lot of this old fort now is like being redeveloped. So, you know, they had the swimming pool, all that stuff became like a rec center. They were selling off houses, businesses were opening up shop. And they had slated a lot of the wooded areas for passive recreation. Now, because it was an old fort and it's been a fort for a long time, those wooded areas were like <laughs> shot up and bombed out and all this other stuff. So they had to do a bunch of remediation. So like the first meeting and every trail builder who went through it, but like my first meeting was like a bunch of UXO training. Like, and you get out there and they, you know, because a lot of the slopes were so mellow, and they actually just mowed all the undergrowth down. You just had like nice tall trees. Um, and you get longleaf pine in there, which is, oh, it's a freaking beautiful tree. 
uh, and, and really important for our egos for that ecosystem. Anyway, but you know, it's wide open. The sight lines are massive, and, and they wanted to develop a NICA, a race venue. Um, in cold water, if you've ridden cold water, it is big mountain riding. It is awesome. Every mountain biker should go to cold water. Great place to ride bikes. It's there's a lot of climbing. I mean, you get a lot of descent out of it, but there's a lot of climbing, and it is rocky as heck. And that's obviously why, if you haven't picked up the theme, like I like rocky trails, but it's difficult. It is not the place you build beginners, not at all. And so McClellan was that opportunity. And so, you know, in in this case, I wasn't able to be a part of that cold water development, really, but I got to be a part of the McClellan development, which is, you know, arguably probably more important for that community. But it was just, it was perfect for a Nike venue. They had all these old tank roads. You had all this double track access. So, you know, EMS and, and event staff could get in there real easy set up. You know, the t- trail system is very dense. And, and part of the reason, I remember meeting with the NICA folks early on. And when we gave them the report, they were like, oh, wow, look at that. Like you went through all the criteria and like talked about how you met it or didn't meet it. And I was like, yeah, that's the design process. <laughs> you had some like specifications and I sought to meet those. It was interesting doing the design work and planning work around trying to develop what was going to be a public system, but also host NICA events specifically really well. So. There's like a lot of like stacked and redundant loops in there so that like every year they want to do a race there, they could mix it up. They could have all these different and then the trails that were not being used by the race, you know, because they go to the same places and the sight lines are so open, make really good pedestrian like spectator trails. So people can move about the property to watch these races and actually get in the woods. So, yeah, that. That was a, a super special one, you know, shout out to Preston, Preston York, Flow Motion Trails for, you know, he was a success story, Rich used to tell me from, from Coldwater, you know, he was this, this local guy that loved riding and, and knew a lot about, knew a little, knows a lot about machines and, 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 and construction work and that kind of stuff and, and turned into a trail builder and a great trail builder. And he's been bringing, you know, Imbo did the first kind of phase with him and he's been bringing the rest of it to life and it's just been great the success stories i've heard from there are are phenomenal and it's just you know it's also a special place because coincidentally i found out late well i was i think i was talking to my mom one day and she's like you know where are you she she never knew where i was half the time but my mom uh went through mp training at fort mcclellan so my mom, there's like this old stage right near the trailhead that the community's cleaning up and bringing back to life to host award ceremonies. And so it's like a high likelihood my mother like stood on that stage when she graduated MP school right there, um, <laughs> which is kind of a, a unique, unique thing. Um, yeah, it's funny. You know, I remember doing the design work there. They had a, they have a, they train dogs there, lease dogs, and they do all the training there. And so like, a little spooky being in the woods sometimes and just like <laughs> you're here in the dog's bar. I came upon like a kennel once definitely where they do like some, <laughs> some crazy training and like, yeah, okay. Stay far away from this. But you know, it was a weird site, all these monitoring wells cause they were monitoring for lead in the groundwater. So just fun design constraints to work around in the whole NICA process, but just a cool place. And yeah, I really enjoyed Aniston. Well, I've thrown a bunch of communities out and trail systems out. Why don't you throw a trail system out that we haven't talked about that sticks out as one of your favorites? 
obviously you've listed a bunch of favor. We've already talked about a bunch of favorites, but throw one out that you, that I haven't talked about or asked you about. Well, I'd, uh, I, I have to talk about standing boy. Absolutely have to a huge success. I mean, you want to talk this. So this one was not a tag. McClellan was also not a tag, but, um, standing boy is like speaks to the power of like planning and having sort of the right people in your community push your plans forward. Um, and so Blake Mellon is a mastermind of this type where he has raised like nearly $2 million private donations to build out just this amazing trail system. My first visit to standing boy with Mr. Edwards, uh, I came down with the flu. <laughs> and so I remember just being out, but when he finally got me on the site a couple of days later, it was cool. So you're down in middle Georgia and you're on what's called the fault line. Um, so Columbus, Georgia's got um, some rapids. They removed a dam and they built this whitewater park, which is like really popular. They do rafting. And then like a lot of people come down in the winter, like Canadians will come down and just set up shop and go kayaking. There's a play wave. And so like they kind of understand the power of outdoor rec. They've got this beautiful paved trail system. And so they kind of get it. So the fault line is like, that's why the rapids are there. That's where you're changing from the Piedmont to the coastal plain. So the other projects we've talked about have all been in like the mountainous terrain, like in mountain ecosystems. Now, now I'm right on the edge. And so Standing Boy is like a really special place. It was a WMA, a wildlife management area. And so, you know, this, this is a story I've told people over and over again, how one of the reasons I feel like we Imba through Imba, we've done a lot of work in the Southeast is there's new conservation land coming online. And when we talk about New England, we'll talk about how that's a little different, but you know, so there's, this was like 2000 acres, 1600 acres that just appeared like 20 years ago. Right. So there wasn't like any history of, of people using this land publicly recreation. There was some recreation on it by a private family, but so they purchased this and, and there was some forestry. They were going to maybe do some prescribed burns, uh, but it was mainly just kind of managed for hunting. Uh, but it's right outside Columbus, you know, which is a huge, like second or third largest metro area in Georgia. Um, and it's got a still open base there. So, you know, you've got the fort there. Very, very happening. Lots of people. And there's like no trails, not even hiking trails. They've got the paved trails. They've got a little park in town that had some mountain bike trails, but it was like classic urban park, you know, so not kind of a mess. So like you couldn't even go for a hike anywhere. And here you've got 1600 acres. That's like just a hop, skip and a jump away. It's like maybe five or 10 minutes outside of town. Um, it's on the river. It's on the Chattahoochee. So it's a very special area. So you've got like almost 200 feet of elevation um, and you've got just a ton of rock incredible amount of rock was turned up in this project for being in middle Georgia. And, you know, again, I love rocks, a very exciting project, but, you know, standing boy is, is probably special to me because of the longevity, you know, having kind of helped guide and manage that project for five or six years now through multiple phases of construction has been really awesome, you know, and to get to know Blake, you know, it's a common theme with a lot of these projects that like I make a lot of friends. I like to think I have friends all up and down the Eastern seaboard now, but yeah, standing boy, I mean, just very modern design, you know, a mix of shared use hiking only and bike specific trail. 
Um, so there's some gravity trail that we're finally building out. We built the green trails first, you know, and Blake, I think in one of the Imba videos even says like, yeah, that was really important, really important. He's like, I didn't want it necessarily, but I knew it was important for the community and it is. And so there was a lot of, a lot of support gained through that by having some really accessible trail. But, you know, we were able to flag in like this really remote feeling trail that goes down by the river, down by the lake. and it's. You know, you don't necessarily feel like you're right outside a big city. Some of the rocky stuff we found, I know I've heard from riders down there, like, well, this is hard. And it's like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, you know, hats off to like Val Naylor and, and um, Craig from Community Trails and, and all the builders at Imba for, for making some really cool stuff with the rocks. <laughs> it's technical you know there's you kind of feel like you're on some mountain riding in some of the places in standing boy yeah let's go into uh i like how i don't have to talk a whole lot during this these are the best these <laughs> are the best podcasts let's go into a conversation that we had it was you and i rich edwards and mike repiak when we were doing layout here in lacrosse and you guys brought it up and i was kind of just like the person there listening and to you three kind of debate this topic, which is the stacked loop trail system and the philosophy behind it. And why, if I remember this properly, why it's not always the best answer for every community. And that was what was being pushed for a lot of years. Yeah. You know, it's, it's smacked out there in the middle of the trail solutions book, which is, you know, admittedly pretty old now, but almost, almost 20 years. Yeah, there you go. You know, I was introduced to a lot of these concepts by people like Rich Edwards, Joey Klein, uh, and Shane Wilson. You know, those were three people who had a really marked impact on me early on in Imba and really taught me everything I know. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where my copy is. <laughs> and, you know, Joey specifically introduced me, you know, to this idea of what, what he affectionately calls, we kind of call the hub and cluster system. And, and so, you know, again, going back to, that trail theory I was talking about earlier, right? Like people use trails, you know, because they are seeking a certain experience. That's why they're out there. And so giving people the opportunity to access those experiences, you know, more efficiently is probably going to yield to like a better product. And then might also allow you to use the land a little more efficiently, basically increase sort of the, the visitor density of a trail system. So the stack loop system, you know, very traditionally, you know, green loop because, oh, you know, you need to have green access from where people like start. You can't have a green trail way out in the middle of the system that's only accessed by blues and blacks. It's not a green trail then, no matter how easy it is. And then blue and then black. And that way, you know, and the thinking is like, well, the harder stuff is further out, you know, so it's like a risk management tool. Well, you know, there's no right or wrong answer. You know, that's that's the fun thing about site-specific design work and planning. There's no right or wrong answer. It's it's really about, you know, what the land manager wants, what the community wants and needs, and like what the terrain offers. But hub and cluster, you know, essentially is exactly how it sounds. You have more of these hubs that could be like major intersections and then clusters of trails, pods of trails. And so, you know, by doing that, by having, say, instead of having just the green loop out of the trailhead, say there's a blue trail that bisected that green loop, right? That immediately got you 
to the where the green loop turns into more blue trail, right? So if you are an intermediate rider and you really want to get out there, an advanced rider, you don't necessarily have to bog down the green trail. You can immediately get on a trail that you want to be on and start getting out there. Um, it works really well when you start thinking about directionality too. So when you take Walden's Ridge and there's a number of like this, this theme, this motif shows up in like a lot of planning work where, you know, everybody wants to get to like the top or the view. And, and most of the work Imba does is like in the realm of shared use. Like there's a mountain bike aspect to it, but it, you know, most of it's in the realm of shared use. So everybody wants to get to the top. So where is the most like user conflict? Usually with bikes, you know, it's usually a speed differential and that's because they might be going downhill. Like that, that's a very classic place to find that issue. So you can have like shared use to the top, like a loop, and then have a cluster of trails in the middle of that loop from the top back to the bottom that are a wide variety of gravity type descents. Well, now you've taken away a lot of that issue, right? Or say there's like a, you know, now a hiking only trail that loops off of, that's one of the clusters off the hub right now. So now hikers have this very obvious place that they can go for their, whatever experience they're seeking. Maybe they just want a more quiet, like solitude experience. So, you know, th there's pros and cons to both of them, but that hub and cluster is a pretty contemporary tool that trail planners and designers use to, to kind of maximize the enjoyment of the land. And without necessarily just going hey hey wire like crazy with a bunch of loops so if you can have these really intentional experiences and folks you know they're going to be more invested in the trails they're going to walk away happier they're you know they're going to give more volunteer more say good things so that's where that comes from <laughs> well and one of the things that really stuck out to me when we were talking about this was if you if you're only if you only have green trails leaving or a single green trail leaving a say a parking lot or a trailhead now all your experienced riders are zooming past your beginners and the beginners are intimidated, you know, and so their yep. user experience isn't very good. And the, and the advanced user is frustrated because they're being slowed down by the beginners, you know, and so there's, there's another aspect to this as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it all comes back to that experience. You know, how can we give people sort of the experience, you know, intersections, they're, they're always decision points. So we want people you can't force people to do anything. I always like when I give my planning design speed, like you can't much as you want to force someone. I can't tell you how many like slow down signs I've seen on trail systems. Has anyone ever slowed down ever? No signage, you know, signage is very important to trail systems, but the design is much more important. So if we, the more opportunity we give people to make good decisions, then the better it is for everyone. So yeah, you know, you give that advanced rider, the opportunity to make the decision, oh, I want an advanced ride, I'm going to go here, you know, instead of forcing them on this green trail just to get to where they want to go. Let's go into your your career at EMBA and some stuff, you know, you went, yeah, obviously we've talked about how you went into this from the consulting world, not mountain biking, but what are some things you've picked up throughout your career at EMBA as far as efficiencies or kind of lessons you've learned through all of this that has helped you become a better planner that, you know, you didn't have at the beginning, but now, you know, seven years into it you've refined your craft, I guess you could say. <laughs> oh, maybe. Um, <laughs> um, sometimes I feel like I just, just plain, I just, I just put my head down and work. So I might not be the most efficient person out there, but um, gosh, lessons from the road. You know, I just like, 
how important I, I I hate to harp on playing design, but how very important it is, you know, and and grades, how important the grade of a trail is and how important it is to actually measure the grade of a trail to use a clinometer. That is so important. I remember in a lot of the early presentations we had at IMBA, there was this quote, and I'm going to butcher it, but it was from like the 1914 Forest Service Trail Handbook. And it basically said, mess up what you will with the trail um, and you can usually fix it. But if you mess the alignment up, then you have nothing to do but abandon it. Like it's not going to work. And like the grade, they specifically said, you know, if you don't get the grade right, you're going to have to abandon that corridor. I bought that book. It is still for sale. And that is a hundred. I kind of like, I don't believe that's actually in there. And it is really in there. It's truly in there. But that that's so true. You know, the the grade is the potential energy. It's the the speed of people. You know, the grade sets the experience for things like, you know, is a rock garden a slow speed tech or is it like a fun you're bombing down through it? You know, Rich taught me the importance of like thinking about that momentum when you're thinking about the rigosity of a trail, like how rough it is. You know, the grade obviously comes huge into the idea of like the environmental sustain sustainability of a trail, you know, thinking about some of those core core rules, like, you know, how steep is the trail in relation to the rest of the hill? So all of that was like hammered home for me. You know, I, I take that part of the job really seriously, you know, efficiencies. And <laughs> I mean, it's like, I tell people, you know, start big. You know, if, if you're trying to do this or move a project forward in your community, everyone's going to get sucked into the details. Everyone's going to get sucked into what feature they want on a trail. And that is like the last thing to think about. So the importance of starting with planning and design, and, and I don't say this just because I'm a planner designer, it's because it's what works. It's like all of these projects we've been talking about, you know, the community has done it gone through that process in the right way you know and that is what's most important i've learned really the importance of good organization for local groups want to be honest you know as mountain bikers we're not always like you know if anyone's been to, i've been to a lot of club meetings across the country and you know it's people putting their best foot forward as volunteers so i i encourage clubs to i know it's really fun to think about those trail projects but like how can we increase our capacity and our resources to do those things? I think is is really important. You know, how can we be organizationally strong and strategic about the work we want to accomplish? And collaboration. I, I can't say enough about bringing more people to the table. Old Four is like the classic example of this. There, there was a number of partners involved in the project who are not necessarily like the trail user groups. Like they were just a seat at the table. You know, I'm reminded of a project I did with the Nature Conservancy in the Finger Lakes region of New York, out in Naples, West Hill Preserve. And um, State Stewardship Director Matt asked me, you know, what, who should I invite to the first, to this meeting? And I was like, invite everybody you think might have like a benefit, be able to like talk about trails, you know, be able to benefit from these trails or have something to do with these trails. Like everyone, you know, the people from the town, other groups, other organizations in town, invite them. And here we are standing on the road. And, you know, I had the Finger Lakes uh, trail people. So like a hiking group, there was a hike, existing hiking trail that went through this property. 
very, you know, traditional New England hiking group. I had people from like the PTO, uh, the Economic Development Council, like the Village Council. There was like a cross country ski guy there, you know, local parents, uh, people from the TNC board. And then, of course, like three different mountain bike groups because, yeah, <laughs> that's how mountain bikers are, right? So anyway, we're, we're all in a circle. And you can tell everybody wants to talk about specific things. And so I had them go around and I just had them like, tell me your community goals. Like, what do you want for your community? What is your vision? Like, what? how do you think this trail system will help bring about that vision? And so people start saying things like, well... I want my kids to have some place to be able to go and ride a bike. I want a place where my grandmother can go with her grandchild on a walk. You start hearing, like, I want to enjoy, I want to have a place I can go enjoy nature. I want a place where I can like challenge myself and get a workout. You know, I want a place where the community can come together and have events. And you start hearing things like that. And it's like, okay, now we're all speaking like a similar language and we're agreeing on these things. Now let's take that and like look at the landscape and see how that landscape can provide some of those experiences that'll bring about those objectives. So, I mean, that project is going to construction. This, this spring is another tag, <laughs> of course, but you know, that collaboration, that bringing the community together, really, really important. And I think, you know, I think as mountain bikers, we could probably do a better job of that sometimes. So, I, you know, I encourage people out there, you know, one of the keys to success is, yeah, just bringing more people to the table. And, and I say this, yeah, learning how to compromise. Um, you know, I've been a part of some projects where people have a hard time compromising. And it's like, especially most of these projects are on our public land. So I think, you know, we have to recognize that there's other uses and other needs that this land like provides. So, you know, let's learn where, where we can do things and where we can't, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that speaks to your project a little bit. <laughs> yeah. That's, you know, and it's, and I still, and I know I, I wrote this recently and this is kind of going way off the topic of what we were just talking about, but I recently wrote this on Facebook um, in a comment in a, one of the posts that you made, but like, there's a section of trail that I distinctly think of you on when I ride through it because we were flagging it together and we were, and it was an area that I wasn't really super, well, I wasn't aware of the ridge line or the, the rock faces below this area, but it was, you could tell there's a bunch of social use in this zone, but you could, you could just see like, we're like, oh yeah, it'd be really cool if this trail went up this way, but also split off this way. And it ended up being built just like that, you know? And so I think of that, I think of us standing there before this stuff was built every time I ride through it. And I ride through there pretty frequently in terms of when I ride my mountain bike here. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think I can picture that one. Yeah. Let's go oh. into your new role for the outdoor yeah. sport Institute in Maine. And this is probably where we can take a little bit deeper dive into your past to really why you decided to pivot this direction now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I said early on, you know, I, I am, born and bred in New England. <laughs> Anyone who knows me or has had the uh, the pleasure of working with me can probably attest to the fact that, you know, I make a pretty good New Englander. Um, Is this where we talk about yeah. your handle on Instagram? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, I mean, yeah, we, we could touch on that. The, uh, 
Uh, you know, I was a funny story from, you know, jumping back to Imba. The first job, right? I got hired on with a couple other guys. It was the first time Imba kind of hired a crew, four of us. And we were all in Bella Vista, Arkansas. It's literally like first days on the job. Actually, my very first day on the job, if anyone knows Rich Editors, they'll appreciate this. I met Rich at an enterprise and he took me to a Waffle House. And I did not realize it then, but Waffle House was soon to become an important part of my life. So thanks, Rich, for teaching me how to get it smothered, covered, and peppered. Um, but, uh, you know, Bella Vista, we're out there first weeks on the job. And, you know, a couple of weeks in, Josh Collins, who is now a great buddy of mine and a fantastic trail builder doing awesome things in Northeast Tennessee still, you know, he kind of pulled me aside. He was like, hey, man, like, you got a problem with me? You know, I'm like, fuck no, dude. Like, what, what are you talking about, man? He's like, well, you're always like giving me shit kind of, dude. Like, you kind of crap on my riding and you give me a hard time. I look at him. I'm like, dude, <laughs> like, I like you, man. If I didn't like you, I want to be mean to you. Like, you're a better rider than me. Like, of course, I'm going to like haggle you a little bit, give you some grief, dude. Like, and it was just, you know, Josh grew up in Nebraska and I grew up in New England. And yeah, <laughs> there's. There's just this uh, this way we kind of interact with friends sometimes, especially friends of mine. So Josh has lived, learned how to give it right back, though. So he gets the sarcasm and stuff now. <laughs> but I don't think he did early on. But yeah, yeah, I've I've got this nickname that uh, that my like best friend gave me that I never knew I had. So the story goes, you know, with him, but you, I like I lived on the road for six to eight months a year on average, tens of thousands of miles of driving on the car. Right. So I was like, I was rarely home and like home, home where I grew up, but I was passing through on Christmas and we got one bar in town, the pub. And so I'm down at the pub with my good buddy and we're, we're drinking beers. We're having a great time. He was engaged at the time. And so like, he was one of my first buddies getting married. And I'm like, you know, where's your fiance? Like, how come she's not here? And he's like, oh, you know, she had to work. And I'm like, oh, whatever. So we're we're enjoying ourselves. You know, it's like a couple of days before Christmas. She walks in the door and I'm like, you're here. And she's like, I, you know, I couldn't miss asshole Steve. And I was like, wait a second, asshole Steve. There's only one Steve in the room. <laughs> and my buddy looks at me and he's like, oh, yeah, dude, you're asshole Steve. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, you know, you're kind of an asshole. So I was like, oh, yeah, no, that's that's kind of true. So. <laughs> Um, so it stuck. Um, I, uh, I poke fun at myself, but I'm, I'm probably a little hard on folks sometimes, <laughs> but it's all, it's all, uh, it's all in good nature. So no, uh, but yeah, you know, I was going to say when you first told me that story, cause I asked about it when we were together in lacrosse and I'm like, cause I was kind of confused. Cause I'm like, this guy's not an asshole. He's <laughs> like, like I get awesome the sarcasm and I get where, you know, all that stuff. And I'm just like, he's anything but an asshole. Yeah, it's the uh yeah, so if if, uh, if you are listening out there and and I guarantee I have no top 10s, but if you've ever seen asshole S, I think is how Strava does it cuz I think Steve's my last name. <laughs> then that means I rode your trails. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I I grew up in New England. I was really blessed, really grateful to have you know, parents who took me camping and backpacking and my dad took me bike riding. <laughs> um wasn't really too much of a mountain bike scene back back then in, in that part of the world, but we rode on gravel roads and whatnot, right? And I just love being outside. You know, when I got into riding, it was 
it was with this core group. It was when I came back from that trip. Um, you know, I actually, I took a riding, like they did this after school program for us when I was young. And so I actually got on the mountain biking when I was like 10 or something. And then high school sports took over, got back into it in college because if people are unfamiliar with Rothrock state forest, to me, literally some of the best riding on the East coast, go hit up pig pile. It's one of my all time favorite trails. So yeah, I got in the riding cause I brought the old Gary Fisher to, to the campus to get around and then found out that there's all these trails out there. Anyway, took that trip across the country, came back and this buddy of mine <laughs> gave me my nickname. You know, he was also into getting into mountain biking cause his parents were, were into it and his parents and, and folks there, their generation, they used to host this Thursday night group. And, and so it was all about community is what I'm, where I'm going with this is like, my early, early experiences with mountain biking and outdoor recreation, you know, really started early on and, and we're just driven by community. And as rough around the edges as New Englanders are, we hold fast to our like little, little town identity and, and our community. And, and so, you know, I grew up in a small town and everyone knows everyone and, you know, people look out for you and it's just, it's really important. You know, it was important to me. And, and I saw how, how mountain biking and outdoor recreation, you know, could help cultivate community, help strengthen it. And so, you know, that intersection has always been really, really important to me. And I've always, you know, I've always wanted to be, I'm up in Maine now. I don't know if we've said that yet. <laughs> I live in Maine. I grew up in, in Southern New England, but Maine has always held a special place in my heart. I, I grew up summering right around where I live here. My grandfather built a cabin up here. And so I spent a lot of my summers as a young kid coming to Maine. So Maine is just like, it's always been this place I've wanted to live. You know, it was like growing up in Southern New England, Maine was like the big outdoors, like the big unknown, you know, and, and a lot of people. I know many of them, like everyone wants to move out West. I wanted to move out West for a time. There is massive public lands out West. It is a breathtaking and beautiful part of the country, but I've always really liked New England. I, I like our culture. I like our landscape. The, the glaciated landscape is complex and, and confusing and, um, and rugged. Um, you know, Maine's got a, just a beautiful coastline. It's got mountains and it's a massive state. It's, it's big as the rest of New England. Um, so, and it's not a lot of people live here. So to me, you know, with what you've heard me talk about, you know, I love big, big open spaces and Maine's got a lot of that. So I've always wanted to be here. I've always wanted to take the work that I've done with Imba and focus a little bit more on like New England and where I'm from. And so this this opportunity came about, you know, I've actually worked with the Outdoor Sport Institute. I want to say almost every year I was at Imba, maybe not the first summer, but every year after that, I've come to Maine. Mike Smith, the executive director, he's, he's invited us up a number of times. The first project I ever did with them was this property called Scopan Public Reserve Land. And so Maine, the Bureau of Parks and Lands has massive properties. They don't have state forests. They have these public reserve lands that are like tens of thousands of acres. So Scopan, 18,000 acres of land. Massive, right? Like, And so they just wanted a concept and kind of a feasibility study to understand what was possible. And it's just like, 
whoa, you know, it's way up in the county, Aroostook County, Maine. It is like where nobody in the state of Maine even goes. Um, but there's like this beautiful culture up there. Um, there's wonderful people, you know, a lot of potato farmers, good potatoes. And so to be, you know, to be out there planning on this massive scale, right? Like those are like old Fort was like that. There's been a number of projects in my career, Marlington, West Virginia. I helped on a project out in Amo Valley out in the outside San Diego, but like these massive landscape projects are just so, so inspiring to me to be able to like think about how I can connect people with these like really awesome experiences challenging remote backcountry experiences and we have that opportunity in maine and then the like the big project i was involved with with osi um was when they shifted focus and they really started focusing on a town called millinocket maine which if folks are not familiar with millinocket is it's it's the town outside baxter state park it's the end of the appalachian trail you know it ends on mount katahdin which is just like to me the most stunning and most beautiful mountain in all the world um <laughs> It's it's gorgeous, um, and it's like the gateway to the main north to the main north woods and like three million acres of privately owned forest land. You know the Golden Road, this infamous road, like ends at the mill in Millinocket. Um, it was literally a it is a mill town. It was built around lumber and and timber, and that went away. You know the paper mill shut down, and so to be a part of a community like that, you know, it, to me it felt like some of those western experiences where you've got a community you've got a town on the edge of like essentially wilderness not capital w but right like on the edge of like massive amounts of open space like limitless adventure so really exciting to work with that community on a on really we're not necessarily way out in all that land you know we're working right around town but Again, you know, it's like a 150 mile trail plan that we've been slowly implementing up there in Millinocket. So I've, I've gone up every year through IMBA to do stuff like planning and design and education. That's been a really big piece of, of OSI's mission is capacity building. Um, and so that's that's been a big piece of what Mike, Mike Smith has brought us in for. I'm rambling. I don't know where. In your new role. <laughs> Yeah. Like, let's yeah, talk I about mean, what you, you know, what you're going to do. And then we, you know, we could maybe talk about why the transition, you know, cause yeah. things have changed. Yeah. Yeah. What so, the future you know, might look like or what you'd like the future to look like at least. OSI, you know, like our, I can say Imba's mission with, with ease. It's going to be, it's going to be rough, bittersweet, but uh, you know, OSI's mission, you know, make human powered outdoor sport accessible, sustainable and meaningful for everyone. Right. Like that, that is our, our mission, our vision is, you know, a world where people have the skills and opportunity to, to engage in the outdoors. So it was really, Mike has done a lot of different stuff through OSI. You know, they've helped start up gear libraries. Mike has a, a very strong background in like programming and instruction, like giving people literally the skills. You know, he's a great whitewater kayaker, there's cross-country skiing background. And, and so OSI has recognized that you know, trail development, the creation of, you know, infrastructure, like, like the other infrastructure, the experiences they're helping to create, the gear they're getting access to. Trails is, is another piece of that ecosystem for the whole community. Um, and so, you know, we, we talked about it and um, I think you alluded to, but if not, you know, I, I have a five month old now and I, we just bought a house here in Maine and I definitely alluded to being on the road a lot, you know, which 
I am so grateful for, you know, if, if anyone out there, if you're young and you want to travel or, you know, and have an exciting career, talk, talk to Imbo because it's, it's great, but you know, it's tough. I lived in a lot of hotel rooms. <laughs> I ate dinner alone a lot, you know, like I, I wanted to be home. I wanted to be part of a, my community again. So this was a really good opportunity to do that. And, and, you know, the part of the focus at OSI is, is developing like the local leadership and mentorship and it's strengthening the community collaboration and sustainability. So looking at outdoor recreation as a piece of like a resilient community is like, there's a lot of things communities need to do. Outdoor rec is, I think, a very good piece of that. Um, and how can we build the local capacity? You know, how can we work with local young people and mentors and, and these types of folks to help give them the skills to do these things? Whether that's, you know, the skills to build and maintain trail or, you know, be able to work on bikes or skis or be able to like teach other people how to kayak or ski or bike. You know, this is all really important work. So, you know, my role is we know what I'm. I don't consider myself an expert, but you know, you know what I'm good at, which is like the trail planning and design. And so I'm going to be really leading up like a trail development side of OSI, helping provide communities with trail planning and design services to get them the foundation for those next steps. So, you know, we've got some grant funded work in certain parts of Maine, like around the Katahdin region, where we'll be doing some community planning with a number of awesome partners. Um, there's some really cool high level strategic recreation visioning that we're doing uh, with a number of other partners. And then there'll be like, like sort of like I did with trail solutions, like contract work, like technical assistance, where we might just go help a community like on a one-off project. But, you know, so part of my time is focused on doing this work up in that Katahdin region. There's a number of grants that have gone out. And so there's like professional contractors that are going to be building up there. So I'll oversee some of that management. There's a crew, like a local nonprofit trail, nonprofit Katahdin area trails. Last year, they had their first trail crew. This year, they hired their first assistant trails manager. So a young college-age student, um, she went through an OSI internship program. She's been on trail crews in her teens on a youth crew. And so, you know, now she's leading this crew and they hire a number of high school kids every summer. So I'm helping you know, develop those local resources, giving them skills, providing training, oversight, management for them. But also, you know, the education piece. I mean, for, for people who are listening to this podcast, I know you've had a number of these people on um, and I pay attention to the trails world, you know, higher ed universities and, and educational institutions are taking notice and doing more around trail development. And, you know, the the industry is maturing very quickly for better or worse. It is what it is. It, it is maturing. And so, you know, things are changing. Um, and so the more, the more we can kind of all agree on some of this stuff and be, be training to the same caliber is really important. Um, and, and just to have qualified people, I think if you talk to any trail builder right now, you know, contractor, they're going to tell you the, they have plenty of work. They just don't have people to do that work. And so, again, you know, it's a great time to be in trails. There's a lot of funding out there. So anyway, OSI, it's all to say OSI is taking a very big step toward working with some educational institutions and helping develop um, trainings and, and that sort of stuff. And I'm really excited about that because, you know, again, going back to my backstory, you know, I didn't think this was a real job. I thought, 
you know, this was just like going to be something. And so <laughs> showing kids, especially, you know, OSI is a big presence in rural Maine and, and Maine, for those of you who are unaware, it's, you know, there's a number of statistics that are like not great. You know, it's <laughs> it's the whitest state in the country, you know, so it could use some more diversity. You know, it's, it's the oldest state in the country. You know, a lot of young people leave. Um, so average age and it's it's a number of counties are aging and a number of counties are shrinking. So it's a tough time, you know, so to be able to show some of these rural youth that like, hey, you know, this is a viable career. This is something you can do, you know, and especially in your community here in your rural community, like capitalizing on what you have, nature's bounty, you know, the terrain through outdoor recreation, you know, is, is a really smart choice for your community to take. And like you, you could have a job here helping with that. It's just a very powerful story and one I'm really excited to be a part of. What really excites me the most about what you just were talking about is the fact that the organization took an active part in creating a role that is around trail planning and design. And again, I don't know if I'll ever say it enough. Maybe, maybe we'll get to the point where I don't have to say it anymore, but it is the most important part of all of this when it comes to trails is planning and design because of all the things we've talked about. And so to see that organization like really be proactive and bring a trail planner designer in to kickstart these communities is super important and super incredible. And I hope more other, other organizations that if they get themselves into the position of being able to bring someone on staff, such as yourself, that they take advantage of that. Because that's really what when you see start things, when you start to see things moving in a great direction in terms of trail infrastructure. Yeah, it's a very exciting time here in Maine. I am thrilled to kind of be a part of it. You know, I grew up in New England, so I feel like I can, <laughs> and I guess I have a nickname for it. I feel like I can harp on, on New England a little bit. You know, I don't know if, if you, Josh, or any of your listeners know, you know, New England was founded by Puritans. And if you're not familiar with what a Puritan is, Someone who wakes up in the middle of the night in a cold, cold sweat, scared for their life that somewhere, somebody is having a good time. <laughs> That's all to say that, you know, growing up, yeah, we're kind of resistant to change up here. You know, people always, when I would come back to New England, it's like, why do you work down south so much? Well, they ask us to work down there. You know, they, they're, you know, so New England has like a long history of recreation. I mean, people have been recreating on these lands for a long time and so there's like preconceived notions you know there's there's expectations that are like set in stone i worked with the white mountain national forest and they you know were telling me how i think i told that story but you know they they basically had trails that you know they wish they could move but people love them like they wish they could change the alignment because it's unsustainable it's just hard to maintain but like if they moved it everyone would lose their mind so We've got a lot of historical infrastructure and not all of it meets the contemporary needs of our communities. You know, <laughs> we've got and just like sort of the nature of conservation and, and mountain biking in this in this part of the country. You know, they've, it's always been this kind of cat and mouse game. You know, for a long time, it was especially in southern New England, where most people are, it's hard to get access, hard to get approval. People took it into their own hands because they wanted trails. And, and you ended up this cat and mouse game that just really is not good for anybody. It's starting to get a little bit better, but it's definitely starting to get better. But, you know, it's and so you end up with 
just historical trails, you know, old woods roads or just what Joe and Bob and six pack of beer could scratch in in an afternoon, which is not always like what's best for the community or, or what people need. So, you know, it's really exciting that in Maine specifically, there's a number of like really contemporary projects going on. People are starting to take a hard look at trails as, as community infrastructure and like, how do we really like this provides a benefit. So we need to make sure we can maintain this, you know, people, people everywhere are seeing the impacts of like more people on trails. And if you, if you don't have a well-planned or designed trail, then like, there's no sure way to figure out that it doesn't work and like put a lot more people out there, especially people who might not be like super familiar with like the ins and outs of trail use and, and, you know, being a visitor in the woods and that kind of stuff. So, but there's, there's a number of funding things coming on in Maine. Um, I was a part of a number of really cool projects uh, through Imba this last year that, you know, I hope, I hope just happen. <laughs> so one is up in Bethel, Bethel, Maine with Inland Woods and Trails and Gabe Perkins, a great guy up there. They, um, they've been doing a lot of great work. Bethel is a storied forest destination. That's where Sunday River is. I mean, people have been going there to recreate in the winter specifically a long time. And so they have a great, they have that tourism infrastructure. They have the hotels, the B&Bs, the restaurants, um, which some of these other rural places in Maine don't have. And so that's a serious part of the conversation. If you're going to develop tourist trails, you know, destination trails, what about all the other infrastructure Bethel has in? And they gave us like, was it like 3,000 acres to play on um, that all goes up to high elevation, like real mountain. This is like the mountains of Maine. We added 65 miles to their existing community forest in a plan uh, that already had like close to 20 miles. So, I mean, really exciting stuff. Again, like for me, a lot of the mountain biking in the Northeast you know, I would call fairly front country or like side country in its setting. Like it's not remote. You know, it's very rare for mountain bikers to have access to like some of the views or like the mountaintops that we have in New England because of whatever, you know, usually there's a hiking trail there or it might be in a wilderness or something like that if it's in the whites. So at Bethel, you know, we had access to terrain like that, terrain that we don't usually have access to. And and there was, um, you know, there's just these opportunities for these like big rugged descents, big long trails with few intersections, you know, probably some camping out there. So like even bikepacking opportunities. So just really exciting, like raw, like you're on top of like open slab, like big open slab that you can be riding and you just got these incredible views. And then we had another big project um, sort of in the middle of Maine um, that looked at a lot of backcountry trails that is just incredible i mean some of these trails like to get to this project you know we had to drive behind a private gated logging road and then hike for hours just to get to the spot though like we were trying to assess the land this is all planning i'm not even flagging trails i'm just trying to get out there and see what it looks like so a massive amount of land very remote like offers opportunities for stuff that excites me like you start having these segments of trail that are like eight or ten miles long right like no intersections just one trail out of like you know 80 miles <laughs> and like so that op those opportunities i think are like maine's one of the few places we can do that in new england um is to get some of these big remote experiences and that it, that is something that i am really excited about helping shepherd and as well as like there's just all so many experiences like close to home you know 
I, I live here on the mid coast and we have some beautiful mountains and some really awesome work going on. You know, and I was, there's a number of projects we're looking at behind schools. Like one of my favorite projects up in Millinocket, we're actually expanding. We'll build a trail this spring, a flow trail, green flow trail connects the neighborhood down to the school. Uh, but there's a number of other projects we're looking at behind schools. And like, that is so exciting to me. Yeah. It's not, it might just be a half mile trail, but like, half mile trail behind a school is so important, but yeah, I mean, That's where everybody starts. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, I, I know you had Adam Craig on, I listened to that one. And so, you know, there's a lot of exciting things happening in the gravity world in Maine, you know, Maine is poised to have a really great gravity scene that, that it's building. But I mean, every, there's so many small community ski hills, right? Like all these little community ski hills that only have a couple hundred feet of elevation. That's perfect for a little community bike park. Three, four hundred feet of elevation, you start getting mile-long runs. I mean, it's a it's a bit of a climb. Like that's a great community bike park. So go back to that hub and cluster method. Let's offer these communities a different kind of recreation. You know. So yeah, I'm a I'm a little bit of like a dreamer. I've got I've got a lot of big dreams for the state of Maine, and I'm really excited uh, to be here. You know, and you know to start to partner with education and 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 not I always with Imba, you know, I'd walk into a room, I'd say, look, I'm with Imba, but we do, we do so much more than just mountain biking. And so I'm, I'm a bit excited for OSI to, to break into like some other forms of trail, trail planning and design. You know, we're going to be looking at cross-country ski stuff. We've been talking about water trails with one community. So it's just, it's exciting. I'm excited for new challenges. You know, I've always been one who, uh, you know, likes to challenge myself. So the opportunity to kind of help create something here is really special and in a place that's always been special to me um, in a place that I now live and I'm raising a family, you know, it makes it that much more special. Yeah. It's, and I've always, I've admittedly, I've never been mountain biking up there. I've only, and I've only been up in new England once. And that was for a winter trip to Loon Mountain, you know, in New Hampshire. And it's a place that's um, just like Knoxville, just like Downeyville, California. I have like three places that I were on my super short list of places I want to get to. And New England is is part of that list. And so maybe 2023 will make that happen. Well, right now you should definitely go to Vermont. It's it is uh Vermont has been doing some of the most amazing stuff in the Northeast. They their riding scene is phenomenal. The the quality and diversity of trail development going on in the state of Vermont really blows me away. But uh not that it's a competition, but you know. Maine's way bigger. We got a beautiful long coastline. So I'm hoping we can do some pretty special stuff up here. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've, I've said it before and I'll say it. I'll say, I know I'll say it again after this, but you know, it's a, it's like an arms race, but it's a great, it's a, it's the best kind you can have because it's all in the name of community and community development and, and all the good things that come with trails and mountain biking. Tennessee yeah, has you know, that part nailed though right now, I think. Yeah, no, Eastern Tennessee again. Although West Virginia is, is right behind them there. You're going to see some stuff happen in there for sure. But um, yeah, you know, we always tell communities exactly, you know, rising tide lifts all boats, right? Like this is good for all of us. And, and um, yeah, there's just a lot of cool stuff. You know, Maine's got an office of outdoor recreation. There's a Maine trails coalition. They had a, their first outdoor economy summit last year. So there's a lot of outdoor rec is a very storied part of, main tradition. I mean, it's like very traditional when you think of hunting and fishing and motorized sports. So 
I'm excited to dive into the non-motorized stuff a little more and and really focus on that that community growth, like that holistic community growth and, and really empowering communities to take on, be able to do some of this stuff on their own. So it's it's good. Well, do you have any words of wisdom closing for closing comments? And or well, and not just or, but and thank yous. And I know you're gonna throw Rich Edwards in there, which you should. He is on the list. <laughs> if I haven't said his name enough. You know, um closing words of wisdom. You know, I dream big. You know, I, I I always encourage people to dream big, open your circle, you know, bring more people to the table, you know, be open to making mistakes. You know, I, I've been asked at Imbo before about my leadership style and, and how, you know, I get stuff done. And it's like, you know, I make decisions and I do stuff. And, <laughs> you know, that's what I always tell anyone who works under me. You know, I'd rather you make a decision than sit there and do nothing. And so learn from your mistakes, you know, just like be be excited to make mistakes and learn from them. And seriously, if you are a, uh, if you are like a young professional and like a natural resources or engineering landscape architecture type background, um, and you are jonesing for something new, best job I've ever had working for Trail Solutions. You know, if you, <laughs> so, you know, I'm not, I know I've left the organization, but I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun living on the road. Um, and so that, I think that goes right into thank yous, right? Like I, I know I have to shout out the Thursday night crew back in Norfolk. Like they, again, I talked about them a little bit, but these people who just gave me this basis of like, wow, you know, what's really special about mountain biking and outdoor rec isn't necessarily like the doing it. It's like the the people and the connections like that. That is so special. Um, Imba, I mean, I can't say like, thank you enough to that organization for giving me this opportunity. Joey Klein and Shane Wilson taught me so much of what i know like just the hard hard and fast knowledge like i'm so thankful for those folks and and rich edwards i can't thank that man enough he's a good friend of mine now but you know he definitely went out on a limb on a couple things for me and he definitely gave me gave me the uh the opportunity to screw up and and <laughs> let me loose and and you know for letting me be pretty independent and tackle a lot of stuff you know I loved it. I absolutely loved my time. And, and Rich, he taught me so much, taught me so much about the trails and people and how people use trails. So, you know, Rich Edwards, huge thank you to him. You know, shout out to Mike Smith, who's given me this new opportunity. I, I'm so excited for this, this new challenge. Um, but really, like the biggest thank you is probably to my wife, Kayla. You know, <laughs> she was gracious enough to let me you know, spend the better part of the last seven years uh, visiting these communities, you know, drinking beer with people, riding bikes, you know, it was, it was pretty much a running joke that, you know, I'd call her and tell her I had a meeting to go to and she would be like, what brewery is it at? It's not my fault. Mountain bikers like meeting at breweries. Um, It's not my fault. Clients want to have meetings on bikes and go for a ride. So, you know, for her to let me do that and let me chase my dream, I'm eternally grateful. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a great way to end this one. I mean, this is, we've been going now for two hours and 10 minutes officially recording. Sorry. <laughs> oh, no problem. I love these. I love the the marathon episodes because you get, especially when you just get sucked in and captivated by the stories. And that's, that's the beauty of podcasting and long form media. You know, some people say that they need to be 20 to 40 minute shows or 40 to an hour or whatever, but 
I think the show needs to be as long as it needs to be. And maybe that is 20 minutes. Maybe that's two hours and 10 minutes. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I love it. It was, it was uh thank you for the opportunity to kind of, you know, stroll down memory lane and yeah, I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. Well, Steve, I really appreciate your, your time today. And you obviously have a lot of stuff going on and as all the guests have, you know, and I, I appreciate being able to share this with the masses. I think your perspective on things will really help a lot of people gain perspective with what it takes to put a trail in a trail community and what, you know, what proper planning brings and proper design, but also the awesome impacts that can come out of it. Because a lot of every trail system you talked about is an impactful trail system. And you made an impact in my community and you made an impact on many communities that we didn't list because we'd still be going for another two hours or three hours or five hours or 10 hours, you know, and you, you slid in a San Diego and we didn't even go to the West coast. I didn't get to spend much time out there. They, they, they kept me to the East coast. <laughs> yeah. Well, you have yourself a great weekend. I really, again, I appreciate all this. So thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity, Josh. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Links for the various topics discussed in the show can be found in the show notes. If you like what you've heard, please take the time to share these shows with others. Sharing these shows will help create awareness of both the guests who have taken the time to be on the show and the podcast series itself. Also, if you're new to the Trail Effect podcast, check out our ever-expanding library of episodes. I'd like to thank all the listeners and guests who have signed up to be supporters of Trail Effect through Patreon. These actions mean a lot to me. With that, the value for value concept is something that has caught my attention. If you find value in the Trail Effect podcast, you now have a way to provide value for that value via Patreon for Trail Effect. For additional ways to support the Trail Effect podcast, check out our partnerships and affiliate links on the Trail Effect website, where you can find links to Kettle Mountain Apparel, Worldwide Cyclery, and Trail One Components. By using the affiliate links found at www.traileffectpodcast.com, a small commission will come back to the podcast, which help keeps this thing going. This podcast has been edited and produced by Evolution Trail Services. Thank you again for listening.